Crossroad International Church podcast. We're so glad you joined us. It is our prayer that God will use this message to bring comfort to those who are hurting, give hope to those who find themselves in what seems to be a hopeless situation, and to encourage the one who is struggling through a difficult season of life. For more sermon audio, resources, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit CICKuwait.com. We'd love to hear from you. of Ecclesiastes chapter 8. We're going to go through these 17 verses in chapter 8 and look at some questions that life brings us. I don't know about you, but I know myself. Sometimes I look at the news, read a newspaper, talk to friends, and hear some of the things that they are going through, and it brings questions to my mind. We've learned so far from the book of Ecclesiastes that everything in life, wisdom, pleasure, fulfillment, good, evil, work, friendships, and wealth, all of those things have a different meaning for a believer than it does for an unbeliever. Because for a believer, when we put our trust in God... Those things don't control us, but they are tools that we have to further the kingdom of God. When I trust in God, I'm not as shaken when I go to work and get that pink slip. That's what we have in America. They used to call it the pink slip, or you get the redundancy paper in some cultures, or you just get the sack, or you're fired, or however you want to phrase it. If your trust is in God and not in that job, it's a lot easier to still have the joy of the Lord. I found in my own life that when I do put my trust in a job, normally it doesn't last long because the Bible says that God is a jealous God and he won't share his glory with everyone. Our heavenly father takes care of us. Basically, Ecclesiastes has taught us there's two ways to look at life. One, under the sun with our natural senses. A person that looks at life this way cannot trust in anything because it will all be taken away when he dies. There's no meaning or reason for life because death is an end of everything. And then the other way to look at life is with God. This is looking at life with our spiritual senses. The believer can trust in God because death is not an end of everything, but simply a beginning of eternity with God. We need to be like Paul, and Paul says, my heart's desire is not to be here, but to be with God. I've told this story before, Pastor Narvel Grit in 
Florida one day got up and said, how many of you want to go to heaven? And everybody raises their hand. He said, how many of you want to go now? And he pulls a gun out and puts it over the pulpit and everybody put their hands down. Because <laughs> what reality is, is we all want to go to heaven. Just maybe not right now. <laughs> Amen. Although I did, I remember sometimes in Bible school when I hadn't studied very well for a test and as they were passing the papers out, I would pray and say, Jesus, you could come back right now and I would be so happy. <laughs> Maybe I'm the only one that's ever thought that, okay? See, death is not something to be feared. Death simply separates us from what is temporary, to where we can go to a place for things that are eternal. So from this chapter, the questions of life, there's four questions that I want to ask and try to deal with. The first one is, why don't we trust in God's wisdom? And the second question is, why do people in power always have to be so difficult? The third question is why are we powerless when it matters the most? And lastly, why is God's power so confusing? Question one, why don't we trust in God's wisdom? Chapter eight, verse one. Who is like a wise man and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face to shine and the sternness of his face is changed. There are two rhetorical questions here. Who is like a wise man? The expected answer, no one. And who knows the explanation or the interpretation of the thing? Again, the answer should be no one. Because see, even the wisest person can't figure out God. We can't figure out everything about life. The wisest person, even Solomon, did not have all of the answers to God. A wise person, their face even is illuminated, and they have so much joy that you can actually see it on them. Solomon isn't telling us to be wise and fake it, but he is saying that we should be joyful no matter what our circumstances are. Because joy is not based on circumstances. Joy is based on the fact that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. My joy is based on the fact that I have a heavenly Father who loves me and takes care of me. See, wisdom brings joy. I believe in this first verse, Solomon is giving us the key to the questions of life. And the key to the question of life is it's not about me, it's about God. We sing around here, Jesus be the center of everything. Let me give you some really bad news. You're not the center of the universe. Amen. Life doesn't center around you. It centers around God. And in trusting him and relying on his wisdom, 
we look at things differently. It's because we trust in his wisdom. It's because we trust in God that when we go through circumstances that are hard, people come up to us and say, how can you be so happy when this is happening? Well, it's not happiness. It's the joy of the Lord, and that is our strength. See, when we rely on God's wisdom and we have God's joy in our heart, it makes a difference in our witness. It makes a difference in our everyday life. This wisdom and the joy of God transforms my life. Instead of going around grumpy all the time, wise people have an inner joy that radiates out to those around them. It says that their face actually shined and the sternness of their face was changed. When you have a encounter with God, when you come into place with God, your life will change. Even your countenance will change. I think maybe here in Ecclesiastes, he's thinking back to the story of Moses when he went up on the mountain and he spent time on the mountain with God. It says that when he came down that his face was shining with the glory of God. But then that brings a question. We know all of this, but why don't I trust in God's wisdom? Maybe you can answer this question for me, Matt. When I know all of this, why do I want to do it myself anyway? <laughs> you, understand, you know what I'm saying? We know that God's wisdom is the best. We know that God's wisdom brings his joy, but I still, in my stubbornness, sometimes want to do it my way. Doesn't matter that that sign says 120. I think 140 is better. I know none of you do that. Even though that light turns red, I can still make it if I try real hard. I know my exit's a kilometer up the way, but if I stay in the far left lane until about 50 feet before I get there and just go straight across, it's faster and it's easier. It's not wisdom. doesn't bring joy. It's dumb, but we're human. We want to do it our way sometimes. Now, I know I'm not talking to anybody here, but I see it happen all the time. And I don't go look at all of your cars in the parking lot to see what you drive to know if you're one of them. So just so you know. But we need to do it God's way. Question number two. Why do people in power have to be so difficult? Verses two through seven. I say, keep the king's commandments for the sake of your oath to God. Do not be hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand for an evil thing, 
for he does whatever he pleases or whatever pleases him. Where the word of the king is, there is power. And who may say to him, what are you doing? He who keeps the commands will experience nothing harmful. And a wise man's heart discerns both time and judgment. Because for every matter there is a time and a judgment. Though the misery of man increases greatly. Verse 7, for he does not know what will happen. So who can tell him when it will occur. Solomon begins here with the discussion about our relationships with those in power, those in authority. We need wisdom to deal with those who are in authority over us. Most of us here deal with employers, students deal with teachers, teachers deal with principals, and the insights here that he's talking about specifically with the king overlap into the rest of life. And Solomon shares several approaches that we can take in dealing with those in power. Number one, simply obey the law and hide. Solomon's admonition was keep the king's commands because these people had made a covenant with the king or made an agreement with the king that they would do what the king said. And if they disobey, then there are serious consequences. So that's what a lot of people do. Just do what you're told and kind of hide in the shadows. Some people flee from the person in power. He says, be not hasty to go from his, his presence. The picture here is of a subordinate leaving the, king, the king's presence in disgust, resigning his position in the king's court, but even this action may not be safe since the king could be offended and punish him. Now, I know there are some times as believers, we have to resign our positions to maintain our integrity. That happens. But sadly, too many choose to compromise their convictions, telling lies, fudging their ethics rather than lose their position. When they do that, they, learn, they lose something more precious than money. They sacrifice a clear conscience before God. We had a friend that was in an export business. They were doing very well, but they had to stop their business because of the corruption of trying to get their product to the market. Every roadblock, they had to pay a bribe. When they got to the airport, they had to pay a bribe to the inspector or their fruits would be rejected. And because of their integrity, they would rather not have a business than have to compromise what the Word of God says. Some people stand up to people in power. He says, do not take your stand for an evil cause. 
Let me ask you, do law-abiding citizens have the right to resist authority when they feel the law is unjust? Yes. But we're never to resist evil with evil, and we must be willing to suffer the consequences of standing up. Our home church back in America, um, when the abortion clinics were really going and there was a strong anti-abortion movement, almost all of the pastors on staff at that time were peacefully demonstrating in front of abortion clinics and all of them got arrested. But they were willing to suffer the consequences of having an arrest on their record to be able to stand up for life. Now, there was no violence. It was peaceful demonstration, and there are places for that. It never is to get violent. When it comes to matters of conscience and law, believers must agree with Peter. Peter said, I must obey God rather than man but he got beaten for it. You know, it's one thing to say, I'm going to stand up for what's right. It's another thing when the whips come out to stand up for what's right. But read Hebrews chapter 11. Peter in Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than men. And then finally, some people wisely deal with people in power. Solomon says, whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him, for he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him what will be. See, when we're wise, we understand that there is a time for everything, and judgment must be considered in everything that we do. See, it takes discernment to know the right procedure of how to deal with people that aren't treating us properly. David said in Psalm 57, 4, my soul is among lions. And Spurgeon had this to say, if your soul is among lions, it would be wise not to pull his whiskers. <laughs> See, we need to use common sense sometimes when we're dealing with people. Don't react the way they are treating us. See, it's not easy to be a Christian in this complicated, evil world. But James 1.5 says that if I don't have wisdom, I could ask God, and God will give us wisdom on how to deal with every situation. Some of us come from cultures that... Um, how do I say this? Some of us come from cultures that question everybody in authority. 
Some of us here come from cultures that never question anybody in authority. And I think both of those are the ditch on both sides of the road of what is true. We need to remember that even evil authorities, God has put them in place. Government leaders, employers have all been placed there by God. God even uses evil leaders to accomplish his purposes. Think about the book of Judges. The people turn from God, and God sends an evil nation or an evil leader to come and conquer his people. And they go into slavery, and they realize how bad they have it, and they repent, and they cried out to God, and God sent a deliverer, and they had peace. And then they forgot God, and God sent an evil ruler to conquer them and take them into slavery to where they now realize how bad they have it again, and they repent, and they cry out to God, and God sends a deliverer, a judge, sets them free. They have peace. Everything's going good, and they forget God. And God sends an evil nation to conquer them. Read the book of Judges. That's The whole thing is that cycle over and over. God can use anyone to get our attention. And what that brings this thought, you and I have to be very, very careful and very concerning, dis, not concerning, discerning when we resist authority because we could be resisting God's work and plan for our lives. Think of the story of Joseph. Has a dream, his brothers bow down to him. His mom and his dad bow down to him. He gives the dream. His brothers don't like it too much. They sell him into slavery. He gets sold into Potiphar's house. God blesses him. He does real good. Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him. He rejects her. She accuses him falsely. He goes to prison. He meets the butler and the baker. They forget about him. And then finally, one day, he becomes to be the prime minister of Egypt. And then there's a famine in Israel, and his brothers come to him, and what do they do? They bow down before him, not knowing who he is, and there is a fulfillment of the dream. Who gave the dream? God. Who put all of this into process? God. And one of the pastors that I worked really closely with in Togo one day was telling me, he said, you know, Brother Steve, it's interesting that God never told Jacob that don't worry, Joseph's okay. 
He never told Jacob, don't worry, Joseph's alive, he's a slave in Potiphar's house. Or Jacob, don't worry, Joseph's okay. You're gonna see him again one day, don't worry about it. He's in jail in Egypt, why? Now this is just speculation. This was talk between me and this brother. But it seems like that maybe God knew something about Jacob. That if he had told him where Joseph was, Jacob would have taken his army and gone to Potiphar's house to try to rescue his son. And maybe he would have rescued him and broken the destiny that God had for Joseph. Because the destiny God had for Joseph was to be prime minister of Egypt and save Israel during famine. And if he hadn't been sold into slavery, he wouldn't have ended up in Potiphar's house to be falsely accused, to be thrown into prison to where he would meet the man that would introduce him to the Pharaoh, he would have never become prime minister of Egypt. If Jacob had intervened, he could have destroyed a young man's destiny. True, he would have saved him a lot of suffering and heartache. So parents, be very careful in dealing with your children that you don't always bail them out of every difficult situation because you may be shortchanging their destiny. We need to learn how to wisely deal with those who are in power. Question number three. Why are we so powerless when it really matters? Verses 8 and 9. No one has power over the spirit to retain the spirit, and no one has power over the day of death. There is no release from that war, and wickedness will not deliver those who are given to it. And this I have seen and applied my heart to every work that is done under the sun. There is a time in which one man rules over another to his own hurt. He's saying here, you can't control the spirit. The word there, translated spirit, most often is translated wind. You can't control the wind. You can't control nature, more or less. Man, with all of his ingenuity, with all of our technology, we can't control the wind. We can't control nature. Some of us have learned this week, it doesn't matter how beautiful the building looks on the outside. Doesn't matter how fancy the windows are in your apartment. You can't control the weather and you may have wet carpet today. Amen. Or maybe he isn't talking about nature. Maybe he really is talking about we can't control the Spirit of God. 
I hate to tell you this, but you and I as infinite or finite human beings cannot control an infinite spirit of God. We cannot command the spirit of God. And I have heard people try to do that in prayer. Man cannot control the spirit of God. We have enough trouble trying to control our own spirit. Amen. Then he says we, can't con we have no control over the day of our death. The comedian Red Fox, probably many of you aren't old enough to know who that was, but he said the health nuts in our society are going to feel real stupid one day when they're lying in a hospital bed dying of nothing. <laughs> Think about it. I don't care how healthy you are. I don't care how good you eat. One day you're going to die. And we all die of something. Hopefully it's old age. But I cannot control the day of my death. Here he's talking about this guy's funeral and different things. And I heard a story of a pastor that really bad guy in the in his city died and he was asked to do the funeral and he was talking about all of the glowing things that this guy had done and how good he was and you know just going on and on and finally the widow turned to her son and said would you mind going and looking in the casket and make sure that's your dad in there <laughs> We can't control the day of our death. We don't know when it will be. And that's why it's important to keep short accounts with God. We don't know that we will get out of here today. Some years ago in our church back home, there was a guy preaching he was in the pulpit and he was talking about resting in God and he pulls up a chair by the pulpit to illustrate how you're going to rest in God and he says we just need to rest and after a few minutes they realized he was no longer here he was in the presence of God, really resting. And he had always said that he wanted to die in the pulpit. And our pastor said, but why did he have to choose our pulpit? <laughs> you know, we don't know. You could live another 50 years or you could go before you get home today. Also, it says we can't stop war. We have some of the most powerful armies in the world on earth right now, and there's more wars now than there have ever been. And then lastly, you can't stop evil. You need to understand God is in control. Evil may prevail, but one day everybody will answer to God. Goliath thought he was unstoppable. Till he met God in a little boy named David. 
Pharaoh thought he was unstoppable till he met a meek young man named Moses who grew up in his house. And he drowned in the Red Sea. Herod thought he was going to stop Jesus and didn't. See, control freaks have a problem because we can't control anything. Only God is in control. Question number four, the last seven verses. Why is God's power so confusing? Then I saw the wicked buried and who can come and gone from the place of holiness and they were forgotten in the city where they had so done. And this is all vanity because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. Therefore, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Though the sinner does evil a hundred times and his days are prolonged, yet I surely know that it will be well with those who fear God, who fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, nor will he prolong his days, which are as a shadow because he does not fear before God. Therefore, there is vanity which occurs on earth, and there are just men to whom it happens according to the work of the wicked again. And there are wicked men to whom it happens according to the work of the righteous. As I said, this is all vanity. So I commended enjoyment because a man has nothing better under the sun than to eat, to drink, and to be merry. For this will remain with him in his labor all the days of his life, which God gives him under the sun. And when I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, even though one sees no sleep day or night, then I saw all the work of God, that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. For though a man labors to discover it, yet he will not find it. Moreover, though a wise man attempts to know it, he will not be able to find it. Solomon lists a few struggles that we have in life here. One, we can't understand why evil is not punished. Some evil people prosper. They live long lives. Some good people have nothing. They die young. Everything in us screams unfair. But as I said before, when life is unfair, God is always faithful. Sometimes justice drags its feet. See, God's mercy in not executing judgment immediately against those who sin is interpreted by those who don't know God is that he is weak and he does not care. But see, God is in control. And Solomon argues here that it's better to fear God than to not fear God. Three times he talks about fearing God in verses 12 and 13. 
We sometimes don't understand God's providence. We will never understand the condition of man or the mind of God. Life remains a puzzle to all of us. Again, we are not in control. God is. The problem with that is that takes my pride down two or three notches. See, I used to pride myself that I was in control. I had it all together. But without God, we're not in control. The mountaintop should never be our destination. Any of you here mountain climbers? I know you're a rock climber. Anybody ever climbed a mountain? Okay. Crops do not grow on mountaintops. Growth comes in the valley. But we love the mountaintop experiences with God, but the valley is where growth comes and where we really get to know God. It's in the valley that God's providence humbles us. And then lastly, we must choose to enjoy what God has given us. Life is full of questions. You're not going to figure it out. So simply enjoy every day that God gives you. Don't worry about tomorrow. There's nothing you can do about it. Don't worry about what you didn't do yesterday. There's nothing you can do about it. All you have is today. So enjoy what God has given you today. Admit that you're human. Look at your neighbor and say, are you human? <laughs> are you sure? And if they said, yes, they're human, then say, why do you try to act like God? <laughs> huh? We do sometimes. We must each admit, I do not understand why, and I may never know why on this earth. I still question God of something that happened in my life 50 years ago. God, why did you let my mom die when I was that young? I don't know. And I won't know till I get to heaven. But I've figured out that once I get there, I probably won't matter anymore. Because I'm going to be so consumed in his glory. <clears throat> and then lastly, we must choose to enjoy what God has given us. Abiel, could you come up? And I'll find my joy in him and the blessings he has given me. See, you and I as believers, we must choose to trust God even when we can't figure it out. When everything around us is going haywire, we still true choose to trust God. I don't understand life's questions, but I choose that by God's grace, I can trust my heavenly Father.
because my heavenly father is too wise to make a mistake too powerful to fail and he loves me too much to hurt me life throws a lot of questions our way sometimes we can figure it out and sometimes we can't Sometimes we simply just have to trust God in blind faith that he knows what he's doing. Parents, let me give you some advice. Some of you may be dealing with some issues with your children and you can't figure them out. Give them in God's hands. Do what you can to love them and nurture them and give them God's word and believe that God can work it out. I know growing up, I gave my dad a lot of gray hairs. probably a lot of sleepless nights because of the junk that I did. But in the end, I came back to God and serving him. And I believe with all my heart that because my parents did the best they could to raise me in a Christian home, that God got a hold of my heart. So don't give up on your kids. They're always, they're your kids. They will always be your kids and love them through everything. You don't have to agree with them. You don't have to um, participate in what they're doing if it's sin, but you do have to love them because they're your kids. Because isn't that what God does to us? Think of some of the dumb stuff you've done since you were a Christian. Does God still love you? Yeah. So when our kids do some dumb stuff, just love them. Lift them up before the throne of mercy and grace. And let God be God in their life. Father, we just come to you. We thank you for your word. Father, even as we've been studying the book of Ecclesiastes and we've seen that everything that we do apart from what we do in you is just a vapor. It's a cloud. It's like smoke. But Father, everything we do with you is like precious stones and gold and silver. Father, help us every day to put our trust in you. Father, help me every morning to wake up and remind myself that I'm just human. And the only way I can make it through this day is to put my trust in my heavenly Father. Father, every one of us have questions that go unanswered. And that's okay. 
because you know what you're doing. And I don't have to understand to trust you and walk with you by faith. Father, when the questions of life come, help us not to be worried and anxious, but Father, with everything by prayer to make our request known unto you because you are a good, good Father. You are the great I am. And Father, we just trust you today. We pour out our hearts and our lives before you and say, Father, it's okay that I don't understand, but help me to walk with my hand in your hand through every valley, through every hard time, through every storm of life. And Father, you will see me through. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.